Our primary reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 through 9. Would you listen now for the word of the Lord? Salvation was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by, grace, so, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. This is the word of the Lord. It has been long observed that one of the reasons depression rates among teens and college students are higher than the general population is because their prefrontal cortex is still in development. Not only does that make it harder for them to accurately weigh consequences, but it actually interferes with their ability to understand the nature of time itself. And I actually still remember this kind of cognitive distortion of time when I was a teen. Time felt both heavier and slower. And so every feeling I felt felt as if it could go on forever. Which in some ways is exciting when you are 18. Like you meet someone cute, you have like a first kiss, and then you're like planning the wedding. But also, I was a bit nerdier. And like, when I mean nerdier, I mean nerdier. I'm dancing alone in this picture. Like, I look like a toothpick. My face was a pepperoni pizza. I had bad taste in 90s Christian music, right? I did not get dates ever. So when adults told me, well, things will inevitably get better. I was like, well, you don't know that. I might look this way for the rest of my life. And now I'm like, man, I wish I still had that same metabolism, right? Because my face looked like a pizza, but I could have eaten all the pizza I wanted. But seriously, when well-meaning adults did try to reassure me about my future, logically, I could comprehend what they were saying but I couldn't feel it. The despair I was experiencing at the time did not feel temporary. It felt permanent. It felt as if it could go on forever. In today's section in our letter to the Hebrews, our likely authorial candidate, Apollos, begins to shift his long commentary on angels... He's still talking about angels, but like last week, even though he's talking about angels, angels are not actually the point of what he's talking about. Last week, he challenged the Jewish Christian congregation in Rome not to pursue functional saviors that were not the true savior, to not drift from the gospel message. 
It was a challenge against indifference. But now, it's something else. Consolation. Encouragement. In the fight against despair. Let's pick up in the second half of verse 3. It, that is, salvation was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witnesses by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Our preacher in Hebrews has a habit of reminding his congregation why they believe what they believe, and he lists it here in order of importance. First... We believe because of the person and work of Jesus, the life of Jesus. Second, we believe because of the first followers of Jesus and scripture inspired by Jesus. Third, we believe because of the signs given by the Holy Spirit. This is important for us to note, because some of us have come from religious communities that get this order in reverse. They root their authority in signs and wonders. That is, some special claim to hear from the Holy Spirit. Or maybe they say that you should believe in what they're saying about God because they have very emotional and passionate worship that it's coming from the Holy Spirit, which coincidentally often looks like everyone is also microdosing on shrooms. <laughs> or maybe macrodosing. I don't know the difference. Or perhaps, more often, religious communities that you may have come from actually root their authority in the Bible, which is higher on the order listed by Apollos. But as many of you have experienced, this can be easily weaponized by the wrong religious leaders. It is not hard for people, typically cranky older white men who like power and control, to take things written in the Bible, not have great context, and then be like, boom, you need to do what I'm telling you because it's in the book right here. This is why Apollo says, we believe what we believe, not because of what we interpret as miraculous signs from God, not even because of the wisdom that is in the Bible, but because of what Jesus has said and done. And to be clear, the other two can be very good. But Jesus is always our first and our final authority. This is why our preacher Apollos is constantly coming back to Jesus. Even though it feels as he has this emphasis on angels in the first chapter, the angels only serve as a reference point to his Christology. Verse 5. For it is not angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. Okay, I just, just want to pause for a second, because I actually love verse 6. Apollo sounds like he's having like a President Biden moment. Like he's in the middle of this really important speech, and he's like, yeah, someone somewhere said this thing once. However, I don't think Biden can use this excuse because this is actually standard Greek rhetoric when it doesn't matter so much where your source comes from as much as the content is what matters. And because this is uh, Apollos not having a Bible that has chapter and verse yet, that's not invented for another 1,500 years. So I I'm sure you remember from last week that this offset formatting that you see if you're reading your Bibles means that Apollos is quoting from Scripture again. Where is he quoting? 
Well, his favorite place in the Bible, the Psalms. Today, it's from Psalm 8, which Aaron had us communally recite in our call to worship this morning. Let's read it together. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, the original context about Psalm 8 is about humanity. The Greek word here for man is anthropos, which means not just only about males, but it's inclusive of females as well. So what is the psalmist communicating about humanity? Our surprising importance, our surprising value in the schema of existence. Humanity is just a little lower than the angels. This in and of itself is a beautiful course correction to many of the extremes in our culture today. Because on one hand, some people will tell you that humanity has very little value. And there are actually both religious and secular people who will say this. Religious people will often say, ah, well, people are just terrible sinners and they deserve to burn in hell forever. But there are also secular people who will say that people are a virus and a cancer upon the earth and it's just better if we didn't even exist. They have different reasons and agendas, but ironically they both have a very low view of the importance and goodness of humanity. On the other hand, some people will overinflate humanity's ego. And again, there are both religious and secular voices saying this. Some religious folks will say, you know, that humans are just inherently good. We have all the power to choose good. And deep down, we are always trying our best. But there's also secular people who say that humanity is the final measure of all things, whether that measure is our ability to use logic or reason that we think works in a given era, or whether that measure is economic growth or GDP despite any environmental harm. They have different reasons and agendas, but ironically, both have an exceedingly high view of human importance or human goodness. The psalmist, however, strikes a middle course. Humanity is made good and important, but within the relative frame of reference to both God and the rest of creation. In fact, the psalmist here communicates this truth with a rhetorical question. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? In other words, relative to the universe, empirically speaking, we are neither very important nor very good. But for some inexplicable reason, relative to God's character, relationally speaking, we are very important and very good. God has crowned you with glory and honor because you are made in the image of God. That, though, is the original context of the psalm. Apollos, however, is going to utilize a midrash again, that creative Jewish interpretive technique that we learned about last week, just to give you a quick refresher. A midrash is designed to give a, a new spin on an ancient text in order for the purpose of expanding our theological imagination. 
So here's what Apollos does. In verse 6, where it says, son of man, he does some brilliant wordplay. Originally, man meant humanity, right? That's what we just established. But here, Apollos connects it to another part of Hebrew scripture to make it about a singular person, a singular man, referenced in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. In our Old Testament book of Daniel, this was eventually understood by Jewish scholars to contain prophecies about the Messiah. And it has this cryptic reference to God coming down to earth like a son of man. It symbolized God's solidarity with humanity, but also to be a clear sign of what God was expected to do as the divine ancient of days. Which, by the way, I just love that name for God, the ancient of days. It's pretty cool. And as it turns out, this was Jesus' preferred identification for himself. The Gospels record that Jesus calls himself the Son of Man 78 times times why so one that people could understand jesus's solidarity with humanity but also what is prophesied in verse 14 that jesus himself was the one who is sent by god who would quote be given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Apollo says that while Psalm 8 was originally about God elevating humanity, privileging humanity to a special status almost as high as the angels, it's also about God descending to humanity being divested of privilege, even below that of the angels. In fact, somehow in what God did in descending to humanity, something that the Son of Man, Jesus, did resulted in him being crowned with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. But hold up. I know, they're like, we have protests. Y'all think about this for a sec. What we just heard, is that really happening in life? Seriously, it is either reading, that is our original psalmic reading, and that meaning, or our original meaning that, that Apollo supplies in Hebrews, are either of these things actually true? Do we see them happening? Are all things subjected to humanity? Well, we still have sickness. Cancer, pandemics, natural disasters still devastate us. Palmetto bugs still exist. Whether you are talking about 10th century BC, 1st century AD, 21st century today, even with all our technology, I don't feel like much of the natural world has been subjected to humanity. Why is that? Well, the short answer is sin. That is, humanity was made to rule as the pinnacle of creation, but our distrust in God and our propensity to want to be our own gods ruined that purpose. 
Human sin has so distorted our purposes that even though God's plan for human dominion over the earth was good, it is hard for us even to conceptualize how human dominion could be good. Think about that. The human story is so broken that we naturally associate the notion of rulers with oppression and tyranny. Because that's about all we've ever known, right? We can't imagine rulers being a good thing. And to be fair, even today, when people do manage to subject the earth in some way to us, it is often just to exploit it. But what about the Hebrews' interpretation of Psalm 8 then? Maybe that works. All things might not be subjected to humanity, but perhaps things have been subjected to the Son of Man. But if that's true, I mean, then why is the Roman Empire still persecuting us? Why did I pray for that family member to be healed of that disease and they still died? I mean, I said Jesus' name. Why did my abuser escape justice, just get off scot-free? Why, why do I keep coming back to my childhood trauma despite all the things that I've done to fix it? Why do I never get healing? Look, I get that human sin has made a mess of things. I mean, we, we can call this like free will. I get it. But if it's true that all things have been subjected to God, it's not that I don't see it. It's that I don't see anything close to it. Is our preacher in Hebrews really this naive? Is he really this brainwashed by religion? I don't think so. After all, it was much harder to insulate yourself from suffering then than it was today. Life expectancy in the first century was 55 years, 35 years if you factor in the infant mortality rate. Nor was Apollos educated in the ancient world equivalent of Oxford, unfamiliar with skeptics and nihilists, philosophers who saw suffering as proof of divine absence or at least divine malfeasance. No, Apollos is not naive. The preacher of Hebrews is a realist. Look at verse 8. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Y'all, having faith in God should not make us dishonest about the state of the world. And Apollos is honest here. The word of God is honest here. Because the evidence indicates, our lived experience indicates, that the will of God is often painfully absent around us. Hebrew says that we do not see everything in subjection to God. Apollos fully concedes to the skeptic's objection. In fact, there's no question of if I will suffer in life. It is only a matter of when and to what extent. And it's different for everyone here. Some of you have endured what many people would consider terrible suffering. And you have turned out pretty much as fine. Others of you have endured suffering that a lot of people would say, well, that's not that big of a deal. But you still feel crushed by it. 
But no matter the difficult of the suffering that we have gone through or that we are going through, there is always a temptation that we will not just suffer, but that we will despair. Why? Because like the teenager with the developing prefrontal cortex, scientists have now confirmed that this part of the brain is still crucial for us as adults for imagining the future. And if part of our brain can develop, it can also be damaged. The insidiousness of despair, the cruelty of despair, is that it deceives our minds into thinking that the struggle is not just temporary, but permanent. That what we're feeling will somehow go on forever. So what pushes back against the despair? Why should the audience of Hebrews dare to believe that God is renewing and restoring the world even though they can't see any evidence of it? Because they have seen one thing, our preacher of Hebrews says in verse 9. They have seen Jesus. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. I know we've already said the name of Jesus a lot since starting Hebrews, but this is actually the first time that Apollos does. He's called him the Son until now, the eternal cosmic Christ who created the universe with God the Father, superior to angels in every way. But it is only when talking about the problem of suffering and despair only when confessing that it sometimes feels like God is absent and unseen does he finally say at the end of this run-on Greek sentence that feels like it might last forever, but we have seen Jesus. Why does it matter that we've been able to see Jesus? That Jesus is a real historical figure? Well, the preacher of Hebrews pivots again to the flexibility of another Greek word. In the original Greek in Psalm 8 about the divine son of man being a little lower than angels, it can also mean for a little while. And Apollos applies this double meaning to Jesus. That what God did in Jesus was to enter God's own creation for a length of time. A lifetime, really. God entered three-dimensional space-time so that the omnipotent, eternal God who cannot be normally seen becomes visible in the life of Jesus. How does this then help me resist the temptation to despair? How can I dare to believe in the evidence of suffering? Because the same God who is above all creation lowered himself into creation for your sake. The same God who exists outside of time entered into time for your sake. God lived in our space-time as a human and suffered a human death on our behalf. Here's why that's good news. Because even though Jesus suffered unjustly, it was unfair. It was not endless, but only a little while. 
Even though Jesus was killed, he was not consumed by death, but rather he only tasted it. What came next was glory. What came next was honor. So if I can believe this morning that in some way my life is represented by Jesus, and God invites me to believe just that, then I can know that my struggle is not permanent. My suffering cannot, will not go on forever. And so yes, there will be days where I think, where I feel that despair is the only rational option. But despair is a lie. Despair is a lie. The life of Jesus is the truth. And when time gets heavier and slower, the life of Jesus can help me to see that which I might not be able to see. That Christ subjecting all things is a now and not yet reality. It is the astronomical twilight before the dawn. But where it is not yet in your life, God's grace is sufficient. And the fullness of God's grace will come to you as surely as you will see the Son. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, let us go to God in prayer and confession. Would you pray with me? Creator God, Lord, we thank you for the good news. God, that you became lower than angels. You entered into creation for our sake. God, you suffered for our sake. God, you have done so many things that we might experience life and joy. God, what a beautiful gift. But Lord, as we come before you in confession this morning, we realize that we have not lived fully into that reality. God, we haven't experienced it the way that you want us to. And so, God, we just come before you honest. We come before you vulnerable. God, would you search my heart this morning? Lord, in the places where I have just been tempted to despair. God, in the places that I have despaired. God, where I believe that the things that I am feeling now would just go on forever and that they will have no end. God, would you help me see this morning? that those feelings are a lie. God, that your truth is good. God, that your gift is good. God, that your promises are true, that they are bigger than any despair that I might be feeling this morning. God, I confess my despair and I look to you. God, give me hope. God, I also invite you this morning to search my heart. God, if there are places where I am seeking other authorities that are not you. God, if I'm placing my trust in things that are not you. God, if I'm looking to anything else but Christ as my first and final authority, God, would you correct my heart? Would you correct my vision so, God, that I would focus on you, that I would give you the fullness of my trust and my loyalty this morning? God, wherever that place in my life is, God, I confess it. Seek your forgiveness. 
and I renew myself in following you as Lord. And lastly, God, we take this time every week just to confess the struggles of this week, the big things that feel overwhelming, the small things that just keep tripping us up. God, you see it all. You do not condemn us. You reach out to us. You want to pick us up. God, may we reach our arms out to you. God, as we confess our struggles of this week, we place it at the foot of the cross. We confess and we seek your forgiveness. God, we are grateful that we can confess all these things to you, that none of our sins are too big for your grace, none of our struggles are too big for your goodness. But God, we are also grateful that we can confess as a church, as a, a body of Christ, the community of believers. And so now we are bold to open our eyes and open our hearts as we sing the Kyrie together. You hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba Father. You hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba Father. Lord of mercy, Christ of hear this good news, hear this gospel promise. If we are trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, I can tell you with great joy and great confidence that God is washing our sins like the rain on the street, on a sidewalk, and he is cleansing us and renewing us and restoring us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, let's continue to respond to how God is speaking to us this morning. Uh, if you are new, whether here or online, there's a couple ways to do that. Um, the way that I always encourage folks is, um, is yeah, the kids are not going to sit out in the rain today. Y'all come on in. Um, is prayer cards, uh, anything you want prayer about yourself, uh, things in your life, people you care about, um, things in the world. Put on that prayer card, tear it off, put it in the plate as it goes on by, and then I can be praying for it on Monday morning, and I love to do that. Also, you can text in questions. That number is in the middle of your worship card. You can ask anything about the text today or about the message. I'm sure we'll have some interesting questions. You can do that on online as well. That number is going to be in the corner of your screen. We'll get to a few questions today, but whatever we don't get to today, I will make sure I will address tomorrow in the pastor's live stream. I want to honor every one of your questions. Also, you can take this time to say, hey, I want to take a next step of discipleship. Maybe you want to check out the new West Ashley community group. Maybe you want to do another group in town. Just you can check the box and say, yeah, I want more of that. Or get a beer or coffee with a pastor. Take that next step of faith and volunteer. Do something to say, God, I don't want to be passive. I want to be active in my faith. And so maybe this is your next step of discipleship. As well, you can just take this time to pray, to meditate. If you are a member of Parkside, this is also an opportunity to partner financially with what God is doing. But if you are visiting with us today, we do not want your money. I just want to be very clear 
clear about that. Put a prayer card in, a connect card, something. Uh, but yeah, we don't want your cash here. Um, we want to know how we can serve you in the life of this community. Uh, and also, you can just take this time because to really just enjoy the new song because we have uh, a, a, some new guest worship leaders who you probably recognize from other places, uh, but they are going to be leading us uh, in worship in terms of this time of response. So let's continue to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. So in the book of Psalms, um, you have many different genres. You heard a psalm of praise today through Psalm 8. We have psalms of repentance. But then there's also a genre called lament. And the purpose of lament is to express pain and to express suffering and doubt and confusion. And these songs are meant to be sung in community. And they're meant to give a voice and words to, to our doubt and to our pain and to our suffering. And so Ben and Mary Elizabeth have put together a beautiful um, arrangement of a modern lament. And so if this song speaks to you, just feel, to, feel free to close your eyes and, and, and press into to the questions um, and the tension in, in this piece. So. The firmament ablaze, you pull the waters back. 